No voy a dimitir. 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 Podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. Back in the studio. Isn't this lovely? I like what you've done with the place. Yeah, yeah. Well, nothing. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been a while. I thought I think the last time we three were in here uh, was just before COVID. I think really before the virus. Yeah, so that's a good 140 episodes ago. At least, Mm. Um, which which is which is great that we're back in here it's only a temporary thing because we're going straight to football aren't we we are great way to spend bank holiday monday exactly a leaf home game a leaf home game fantastic yeah so we thought instead of like you know rushing back getting all our takes out after we've had a few beers then we thought why don't we just do it before we go to the football get all footballed up and then go down watch some actual football and which Leaf will win, because Leaf are on fire, aren't they, at the moment? They certainly are. They're going great guns. They are going great guns. They're through to the next round of the FA Bars. Which is very exciting. Yeah, very, very exciting, because yeah. it's just around, around the corner from yeah, you, isn't it? Yeah, they're just one village over from where I live, which is fantastic. I was talking to the coach, or one of the coaches at White Leaf uh, the other day, as I do. Yeah, you um, do. The, um, for the FA Vars, it's worth £50,000 to each club that gets to the final. Considering the level those clubs are at, yeah. it's just like, I mean, it's quite literally a game changer. Yeah. Completely change the future of those clubs totally. when they get through. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I didn't realise it was worth that much. Yeah, I think it's about was it nine rounds you have to go through, I think, to get there. And they've just played the preliminary round this weekend and they, they earned 550 quid. So that stacks up every round. So if you go through nine rounds, uh, I think Coventry Sphinx went really deep in it. Um, yeah, I think the I other remember year. that happening. Uh, yeah, Coventry yeah. Sphinx obviously is uh, the club of uh, friend of the show, Chris Knee. Yes, but he's the social media manager and he program is. editor. Yeah, I'm sure he had yeah. something to do with it. The I, I don't doubt it. Through the FA bars, yeah. I don't doubt it. I'm sure that there is an, there is definitely a link between social media engagement and FA vars progression <laughs> that we can all tap into. <laughs> Okay, well, all this talk about the FA Vars and non-league football is great, but that's not what the punters have come here for this week. Because, as we are talking, it is the 28th of August right now, and the transfer window closes in just three days now. Well, uh, Friday, isn't it? I think it closes for most of Europe. So we're going to have to be talking about transfer speculation throughout the whole show today, because that's what we do, isn't it? Yeah, we're always on point with the stuff that, yeah, we do, we do what all the others do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fabrizio Romano just tunes into this podcast <laughs> every week just to get the little pieces of information, little nuggets of, uh, of knowledge that he can go and put out on social media. Yeah. We're all wearing our yellow ties as well, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are indeed. I'm wearing my yellow pants as well. <laughs> on brand. On brand. I was tempted to wear my yellow frock, but I thought... Oh, That's yeah. a lovely frock, actually. 
Yeah, I know, but I only bring it out for special occasions. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it wouldn't yeah, go down well at the leaf. Yeah. Not that there's any problem with that sort of very thing. Tolerant just, very, yeah, very tolerant fans. Yeah, very tolerant. It's just it's a bit impractical. That's yeah. <laughs> and of course, you can't afford to get it onto social media while you're wearing it because then Natalie Sawyer will know who stole it. <laughs> now, now, I insist you edit that part out. <laughs> We've had this discussion before and, you, and you'll be hearing from my lawyers shortly. <laughs> it's a scurrilous rumour. Uh, and if you don't retract that, Graham, I'm going to go on the hunger strike and so is my mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Terry, that's just ridiculous. You don't come up with some really stupid stuff sometimes. I really do. You know? <laughs> Where do I get these ridiculous notions from? <laughs> I mean, who on earth would think up a story like that yet? Who on earth would think up the fact that your mother will go on hunger strike and, and be off in a convent somewhere because of something that happened to you? Uh, yeah, it's just... I heard that is a real thing. It's happening now in, in a convent in Spain. Somewhere. It's based on real life. It is. Based on actual events. Yeah. yeah. The following is true. It's just bizarre. Well, the story is, of course, Luis Rubiales, the president of the Spanish FA. And he's turning out to be a bit of a character, isn't he, Terry? <laughs> uh, I think that's probably the best way to put yeah. it. Yeah. He's defending himself and his reputation robustly, it's got to be said, and others on his behalf are doing so. He's managed to turn it all into a culture war, which is the thing these days. Of course. Um, yes. That's what you do. And of course, needless to say, he'll have plenty of people, you know, you know, we all know how the culture war works. There are people who are on one side and there are people on the other. It's literally a war. And so... All of the usual suspects will be rounding up behind him and saying, you know, he's not done anything wrong. I mean, like, it's just all... And they all do that in Southern Europe. They're all snogging each other on Southern Europe. It's just how it is. And, you know, everyone should just calm down. And and then there'll be those who are implacably opposed. And this is where we are. And that's what he's managed to achieve. And he's ramped it up nicely. I mean, it's telenovela-style narrative right now. And doing everything he can, basically, to... uh, take the Spain's genuine uh, World Cup achievement off the front pages. And of course, because this is an unfolding story, we could be talking about it and going in depth. And then all of a sudden, I mean, his dad might do something. I don't know what he's going to do instead of like going on himself to the gates of the Bernabeu and insisting that Jenny Hermosa retract her comments. Uh, Otherwise, he'll still be there. I think his cousin's already done that. (laughs) It was a Jill Bellingham turning up for work and like going... (laughs) That never happened in Dortmund. <laughs> What's up, mate? What are you doing? You are? You're not going to believe this, Tony. This guy's not here. <laughs> happened a few times at Birmingham City, though. But, uh, yeah, I can believe that happening at Birmingham City. It's full of drama in Birmingham. Uh, yeah, and is this all just us not understanding what Spanish culture is like? I think that's how a lot of people are looking at this thing. This is just a, a mountain out of a molehill here, isn't it? Yeah, they're all like that in Spain, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. definitely no. Oh, oh, corrupt, aren't they? Yeah, corrupt, <laughs> overly emotional, um, and uh, misogynistic. No, I don't think they're all like that in Spain at all. Um, but it's bizarre and crazy. I mean, we talk about this being unfolding. I don't think a lot's going to change, certainly on his mother's, uh, on the mother front, because it does take a little time to, to starve yourself to death, unless, of course, she's on a thirst strike, at which point she's, she hasn't got long at all. No. Um, but um, It's yeah, very warm in Spain at the moment. It's very warm. And if you're in one of those old kind of very Catholic, uh, well, they're all Catholic. Um, yeah. It's um, a church, actually. Church, is it a church or a convent? Is I it? think it's a convent. That's why I kind of stumbled over that. I, I, uh. I misrepresent. <laughs> uh his his mother on that one, but uh, 
yeah, crazy. But I mean, uh, joking aside, some of the things I was I was I was driving up from the south coast today, and I was listening to Five Live on the BBC, and the vast majority of people that called in uh, talking about the incident were, as you would expect, disgusted by it, and you know this was this is something that shouldn't happen, and and uh, Rubiales should get his just desserts, and he should step down. Which I think is probably happening as we speak, as they're having a, an extraordinary general meeting. Aren't they they? So are indeed. Yeah. I think you'll find that a lot of those guys that were clapping for him are probably going to, you know, see the there's blood in the water and just uh, and, and let him uh, let him go. Um, but there were, and they they all happen to be men bringing up gold. Oh well, you know, it's not you can't do anything these days, can you? <laughs> you know, you can't do anything. You can't grab a woman by the head and forcibly kiss her anymore. Well, I don't know where what you can you do. Um, which it's is, a minefield, yeah. It is. It's a minefield. Field. It's awful. It's awful. They're all kind of um, uh, 30p lean lock types, if you know what I mean. They used to call them gammons back in my day, or back in, uh, in 2016, didn't they? What but did you call them? Gammons. No, 30p. 30p. I stole that from James O'Brien, I have to say. So 30p Lee. He's oh, Lee Tell them all to fuck off back to France, oh, Lee Anderson. God, yeah. The yeah, actual yeah. deputy chair of the, of the Conservative Party, he said that uh, poor families could live on 30 pence a day. And then he said they can all fuck off back to France. So it's two f bombs from me, but I am quoting you are, you prominent are indeed, senior yes. senior uh, politician. Um, so James O'Brien uh, called him thirty. He used to call him thirty p Lee, and then he, he added on thirty p Lee Knock, which I thought was nice. excellent. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. I thought I'm going to steal that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah and you have. Yeah, well, yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah but brazenly I have, as well. So I, I, mean, I, I have. Yeah. You've literally but just credited. I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, it's funny. I'm sure he listens. And I'm he'll, he'll be pleased. He'll be gratified. He'll be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> like I got a mention on the yeah. Sunday football podcast. <laughs> That's worth a badge. Well, Terry, I mean, I for one am surprised that the culture war has landed at football. Yes. It, it is, who would have known? Who would have known? Like that would have happened. Yeah. yeah. And in Spanish football as well, of all places. There's lots of sabre-rattling now. Um, Mm. Today, one of the latest developments is that the Spanish FA, i.e. Rubiales, has now contacted UEFA to say that UEFA should ban the Spanish FA because of government intervention, which is obviously something that they can do. But it's quite unprecedented for the head of an FA to actually request this, unless there was actually a coup from the government to actually turn up and take over the yeah, FA. That rule really applies uh, to... I, mean, I think it might be a... Because it's, it's definitely a FIFA rule as well. It right? is, yeah. And, and it applies to unstable government, nations with unstable governments or fluid governments, where the government intervenes on all aspects of public life in a, in a country, including a, a football federation, and tries to run it in the government's interest. And, and those rules are, are there for that. They don't really exist for uh, governments to uh, uh, and judiciaries to investigate the conduct of, of officials as to whether or not they may be lawful. Football federations are not above uh, national law and domestic law or indeed international law uh, and so uh, I don't really think it applies and I think they know perfectly well that it doesn't apply it's just saber rattling it's just a, an opportunity to break more stories and create more content and just like keep this going and try and escalate the situation in the hope that somebody somewhere backs down I assume the end game is that somebody somewhere backs down and whether or not that be any Hermoso or or whoever, or, or, or the, the players in the national team sort of like have a massive turnaround and say, well, OK, well, we'll, we'll back down and we will, we will play for Spain. And, you know, it was all a misunderstanding and everything's mm. fine. But I, I don't see it going down that way. I think it's too obvious what's yeah. happened. 
Yeah, I think it's it, they're, they're in open conflict, aren't they? And, and I think they've gone too far to for anyone to back down. Uh, Rubiales and his supporters will have to go because they're going to be faced with the humiliation of the World Cup winners refusing to fulfil any fixtures because of the conduct of the head of the FA, yeah. which is crazy. Mm. And 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 you know this would have been a, a headline, I think, anyway, uh, regardless of what happened um, uh, with the case, because the. Well, maybe not, but but he was also awfully behaved when he was on the the stand. He was two or three people down from the Queen. Yeah. And when they won or when they scored, I, I, don't, I don't know which, he was grabbing his crotch. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy's got a, a real problem. And there are other, I mean, if you do any any little uh, bit of investigation, you'll see this controversy has followed this guy around since he hung up his boots and got involved in the kind of politics of football. Um, but, but I think this might be his, his last stand the other day where he was so defiant um, and also brought in um, Jorge Vilda as well in on it, saying, you know, you, you can keep your job. You're yeah. right. But he was kind of bringing, he was more or less, you know, if, I, if I'm going down, on the spot, you're coming it? on with me. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, paying him off. But I think he was kind of going, I'm going down, you're coming down with me, you're part of this. Yeah. And of course, he's never been too far from controversy either with the way he's treated some of the players in the, in the World Cup winning team. Um, but I think that whole... Um, infrastructure is going to come crashing down and I think it will be the, the women's team that will be victorious over this. Yeah. The other thing is at what point do other women start to come forward and start telling their stories because mm. if this is anything like previous scandals in other industries sooner or later what happens is that there are other victims of the behaviours either of Rubialis or other people in the federation that then come along and then of course those stories um, they achieve many many things but they also serve to undermine further the case that this is either an isolated incident or it's no big deal mm. but you what you wonder about and it's and you can only wonder it's no we can only speculate but you wonder whether or not there's a, a wider cultural problem within the Spanish federation in particular, how they manage their relationships with their female stakeholders, whether it be players or coaches or mm. fans or what have you. And, and you wonder what more stories there are to tell. Mm. And I would imagine that that may well end up coming out. And, and then, then things start to get, quite rightly, properly, properly messy. And it would, we would hope that, that actually some justice will get done uh, as a consequence of this. And I think that if there is justice to be done here, you would hope that that does indeed happen. But, you know, let's not assume that these guys are all horrible and they're all villains and they're all grubby yucky men but the pattern seems to be that that, that usually what happens next in stories yeah. like this yes yeah um, but we'll see we will see of course well one of the things about this is that it has brought out a lot of the allegations that have dogged Rubiales throughout his whole career of corruption of inappropriate actions and also about inappropriate ways of speaking to members of staff. Now, all of these in isolation can easily be dismissed, one person's word against another. But when they start piling up, these are the times when people like this, who believe they are invincible because they've been accused of these things over and over again and nothing's ever happened. These are the, are the times where people really do show their, their true colours, don't they? Who has been to blame for the Spanish FA to get into this position? And I'm not talking about, yes, of course, it sounds like it's Rubiales because he's the one who's been in charge of this all. But who has failed in in their respect to of keeping the Spanish FA on track? Is this been FIFA's problem? Is this UEFA's problem? 
is this Spanish media's problem or Spanish government's problem where they're so entwined with the clubs or the FA that they're unwilling to do anything that will rock the boat? Because let's face it, you've got the biggest clubs in the world playing in Spain. You've got one of the most successful uh, men's international team. Now the World Cup holders in the women's game as well. So who do we think is to blame for this? Well, I think you can take your pick, really, can't you? Mm. I mean, you can certainly look to the government and ask why there's not been oversight. If laws have been broken or if there's been allegations that laws have been broken, laws of the land, then, then that falls upon the government and the government's judicial system to investigate that, which obviously hasn't happened or you would imagine hasn't happened. But in equally, you know, there, there needs to be some kind of oversight over federations and the actions of federations and, and of course this is something that in this country we've, we're having a conversation about about a regulator uh, slightly different but nevertheless the idea of an ombudsman or a government appointed committee that examines and, uh, and audits the act and actions and activities of football federations given the amount of money that flies around there is would be something that should have happened and uh, that is when you can involve perhaps the international federations like UEFA like FIFA and then that way you know you're getting proper stakeholders involved in that oversight um, but of course what it looks to me like is just like a cabal of self-interested men who are all working together for their own interests mm. and are not particularly interested in, in involving themselves in anything because the feeling is is that they are a cabal that they all know each other they work within the same networks they give each other the same kind of jobs and that they are, in, in some respect, running the risk of being implicated themselves, rather directly or in, indirectly, yeah. um, in anything that might come along. And I mean, this is a story that could be told in, in almost any industry throughout the world, you know, yeah. but, but it's a story that's being told in football. Mm. But none of this is, this is, this is all, you know, good stuff for the scriptwriter. I, I think that you can't really point the finger at any one person, but that in itself is part of the problem with these things. It's like Rubiales' behaviour. It's like classic microaggressions that you yeah. can look at in isolation and say, well, what's the big deal? They say, well, it's because it's something that you do all the time, you know? But if you look at it in isolation, you can say, oh, it's no big deal. And then it's harder to then sell the argument and say, well, actually, this is a pattern of behaviour, of bullying, of corruption, or whatever it is that leads you to this point. And it's one of the reasons why this is allowed to continue is because nobody really has any direct responsibility to try and stop it. Mm -hmm. And so they can, everybody can just point their fingers like, like loads and loads of Spider-Men yeah. at each other as to try and figure out as to who should have tried to stop this. And in this instance, and not for the first time and not for the last time, it's the workers in the end yeah. who usually put a stop to these sort of things. Yeah. I think it's reflective of a lot of problems that still exist in football, and it's a reminder that you know the days when the um, you know what FIFA was was, he says, uh, mired in corruption. Um, but, but these these organisations, you're right, Terry. They're they're an all boys club, um, and they have systematically failed the rising and, and incredibly watchable and brilliant women's game. They've failed children in their charge. I'm not just talking about Spain yeah, here. Yeah. I'm talking about yeah. football yeah. federations and, and national organisations generally. And so there just needs to be better um, safeguarding of, as you quite rightly, and it's a good word to use the workers, be that young kids coming through, be that um, professional athletes, male and female, and employees of the organisations as well. It just needs to be better in football. And it just seems like it's, you know, if it wasn't Spain, 
it would have been somebody else that we would have been talking about, maybe not at this moment in time, but in certainly, you know, in the next year or so, something would come up with another um, federation where they've just, you know, they've spent the last hundred years just looking at men's football. They're having to quite rightly adjust to a more tolerant and open world that has an expectation that you should have equality of opportunity regardless of your gender or your background or anything like that and they're just not catching up and I hope that doesn't sound like I'm making excuses for it because I'm not there is no excuse for it no you know the, the, the commercial world has moved forward with this very very quickly and it feels like all boys clubs like this you know we really need to shake the tree and just get rid of some of the old cobwebs and the, the rusty old men mm. that are stinking the place up really yeah, I guess on the other side of that, you get the people who will defend these sort of actions to saying, well, you're just using this as an excuse to push your own agenda. Of saying, like, sweeping out the old guard because one bad apple did something wrong. Mm. But, Terry, you're right. It's more about the microaggressions, the pattern of behaviour. This is what we've seen a lot in politics as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Where people have been found out. It's been one thing that they've, that they've stumbled on because of their perceived invulnerability. But then all of a sudden, it, a whole litany of awfulness. That, yeah, it happens that in the comes... workplace as well. Yeah, it, it I does. Mean, it happens everywhere. It does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, but but what's interesting about this story is that it resonates, I think, with people who hear it. Yeah, and that's why it's in the news and why it's staying in the news. Mm. The Spanish team had problems with Jorge Vilda and essentially with Rubiales as well long before the World Cup. The fact that whilst on tour, these players weren't allowed to lock their hotel room doors. God, really? That's true. Yeah. This is true. Well, that's alleged anyway, yeah. 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 They weren't allowed to lock their doors. Yeah, Vilda wanted to be able to inspect the players' oh hotel rooms at any time. So yeah. they were instructed to keep them unlocked. As we said last week, Terry, I think it was you, wasn't it, about the fact that whatever the progress of women's football is, the people in charge will not be able to keep up because mm. it is it is growing on its own. It is becoming its own thing. and It is its own thing. And the things that are in place now, or the people that are in place now, are not equipped to look after it, especially not someone who got his job from his dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Which is always a warning sign, isn't it's it? It's always yeah. a warning sign. <laughs> it should be as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be watching this story unfold. And it's not just going to be Spain that this is going to fall out on. This is going to be everywhere. Mm. It's going to be a lot of things. And as well, Rubiales is not going to go down without dragging as many people as he can kick Absolutely. as well, no, much stink as possible. If his reputation is going to be trashed, then he'll make certain that there are as many, because that that's how it works. Yeah, you know, spread I mean, the shit around as yeah. much as you possibly can. <laughs> There's a reason why UEFA mm. haven't said anything. Yeah, yet. no, totally. Yeah. 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 Well, and the reason is, is because it's a fluid situation and they'll withhold comment until things play out. <laughs> mm. Of course. Of Thank course. you very much. There. <laughs> uh, you, UEFA spokesman said it. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, but as you say, it is a busy week. The transfer window is going to be closing. We've been waffling so much about important stuff that we've forgotten to talk about transfers and possible yeah. transfers. <laughs> We're glowing yellow. We haven't talked anything I've about this. I've got a stuff. whole A4 sheet about the implications of Jean-Philippe Mateta moving to Borussia Dortmund from Crystal Palace, and, and, and it's wasted now. Wasted. Well, yeah. well, well, we can have a chat about that in the football. We'll have a chat about that. <laughs> yeah, that feels more like a football conversation. Yeah, so uh, I think so. But the transfer window is closing in Europe. Yes. It's not closing everywhere, though, is it? I mean, especially one very cash-rich country who is like spending a lot of money over the summer still won't have any problem spending that money for at least another three weeks. No, that's right, because Saudi Arabia's remains uh, transfer window remains open which means that they can go and plunder 
the Premier League for the, the ageing stars, and in some cases, younger stars as well. Well, so, well, well the older ones. Yes. Well, why aren't you for doing anything about this? <laughs> I refer you to the comment I gave some moments ago. Uh, it's, a, it's a clearly fluid situation. It's a clearly fluid situation. <laughs> monitoring closely, <laughs> aren't we, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> We've seen this before, haven't we? Six years ago, this, yeah. this is exactly the situation we had when the Chinese were buying lots of players and their transfer window didn't shut until a few weeks after the mm. end of the European transfer window. Uh, so no one's learnt anything. Or maybe they have. Maybe they thought, actually, this is quite a good thing. <laughs> Keep it open. People will be desperate to come over here now. Is this just making a joke of transfer windows? Well, I mean, it's certainly it's fair to say that Saudi Arabia are acting as disruptors in the industry, <laughs> to say the least. Yes. Um, they've certainly helped the Premier League clubs, particularly uh, particularly Chelsea, but others, you know, w- with their financial fair play, of course, because they're bringing huge amounts of cash in to help them offload players that perhaps those clubs don't need anymore. Although Jurgen Klopp will have a different thing to say about that. So there is there's that to consider. And yeah, the, uh, the somewhat arbitrary nature of saying, oh, no, we won't bring our transfer window in line with the European clubs. We'll keep that open because yeah, they, they will continue to be able to buy long beyond there. And it's, it's difficult to know what the right way to combat something like this or whether or not there is any desire um, on the clubs to genuinely combat that. Because I think they'll, they look at Saudi Arabia and this kind of gold rush that's taking place mm. in Saudi Arabia. They'll probably feel it's temporary. They might look at the Chinese thing and say, well, it's just going to happen like that, which is not, you know, you know, I mean, like, if we don't know what a genuine goal scoring opportunity <laughs> is, then how on earth can we possibly know what's happening with Saudi Arabia? No I mean, one can tell the future. No one can tell the future. Right? No, I know. Jamie Carragher put the right on He that. was so right, though. He was so right. He's right. We can't yeah. tell the Very future. Very philosophical Jamie How Carragher, are we supposed to know whether that yeah. was a goal scoring opportunity? Anyway, we, we, we digress. You can't tell the future. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, denying a goal-scoring opportunity. And I mean, what is that? You know? <laughs> I mean, who knows what is a goal? Anyway, so um, I think that, yeah, I, I think that they're causing an awful lot of trouble. This is the kind of the first season where this has happened with the Saudi Arabians. It might calm down a little bit in subsequent seasons because there's only so many players that they can buy because there's only so many clubs that they can have. But what's interesting is really more... No, what's the plan behind all of this? Because mm. I rather naively just thought, well, this is just a really, really, really big exercise in a sports washing, but also playing into the 2030 World Cup. Bit. Mm. But maybe, maybe there are, there are other issues at play here as well. Mm. Yeah, well, there are, Terry. Thank you for that lovely intro there. Um, yeah, so I listened to some really good stuff on the uh, BBC, which is well worth paying for, folks. By the way, despite what you get told, um, and they did a, an excellent uh, two-parter on Saudi Arabia. And the interesting thing is that it, it is very simple to just look at uh, what's happening there as a sports washing exercise and just to brush up their image uh, which it is in need of brushing up let me tell you internationally but they've got um, a really interesting uh, demographic there and they've got one of the youngest populations um, in in the region and that population is crying out for greater freedoms and more interesting things to do which is what young people want to do um, and having a big Uh, interesting powerhouse of a football league is something that's going to potentially keep the population in check. 
But as well as that, what's interesting is that a lot of the clubs, I think there's maybe four or five clubs in the, uh, the, the Saudi league that are owned by the government and they are effectively investing in these clubs through their players to, to be, get them to the point where they're bringing in so much money that they'll be able to let them go off and on, go on their own. That's what they're saying. But the point is that it's going to take continuing investment if they're going to be able to dominate that area and then maybe even make a player to say, can we, can we join um, the, the European Champions League? Which, whether that's even possible, I don't know. But it's a, it's a type of thing that journalists are starting to talk about now. Yeah. Um, and oh, you really? know, if you've got, yeah. well, if you've got, mm. if you've got teams that are just dominating um, the Asian um, confederation, then it makes sense that they'd want to go into the richest one there is, which is uh, obviously which is the European one. So yeah, there's there's a lot more to it uh, than, than meets the eye. Uh, it's it's fascinating, although sinister at the same time. Um, it's bread and circuses, basically. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a really good way of putting it. I mean, but sinister in that you're using this not just to, uh, you know, come and visit Saudi Arabia. It's nice, really. Mm. Don't throw homosexuals off buildings or anything like that now or stone people to death for adultery. Um, you know, but the reality is that they're using this as both inward looking and outward looking to wash. Sorry, in sports washing is it's just washing their reputation through any means necessary, really. Yeah, yeah. It's the sort of thing that Franco did when he was in charge of Spain, you know, mm. get a very, very successful football club and then win the European Cup five times in a row. Yeah, that was in Spain, by the way. Yeah, that's what they like over there. <laughs> it's strongly refuted, that whole thing, apparently. I don't know. But there are people who insist that it was not quite as as, as, as bad as that. That, that Real Madrid, we you know, were not necessarily the state-run club that, that they are. But I don't know. I think that that is hotly contested. Mm. Of course, that could never happen in Western Europe, could it? It's only ever happened behind the Iron Curtain. That's how stuff, <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah. I, and also as well, uh, going back to the Saudi Arabia's push, obviously they are going for the 2030 World Cup, mm-hmm. um, but also the Club World Cup, which obviously most people don't give a flying hoot about, but um, Gian Infantino does, and, that, and so his new 32-team replacement to the Confederation Cup which will be in 2025, held in the US. But it could have as many as three Saudi teams in it. If they're really continuing this push, then they could potentially feel that they have a chance of winning it, even though they'll be up against, I think, at least a dozen European sides. But the European sides won't take it as seriously, will they? They'll see it as an annoyance. It's going to be another summer tournament in the US. Yeah, that's how they'll just look at it. So they won't... won't, So so there's every chance. And obviously, we know the South Americans will will take that seriously because they've always taken that tournament seriously. Yeah. Back when it was the Intercontinental cup just then it was just a one-off or a two-legged or in fact it was just a one-off game between you know the european champions and, and the south american champions mm. but they take it seriously so that there's an opportunity sort of try and get one over the europeans by catching them at a moment when really they're just like focusing on their european said domestic season mm. and perhaps their european season and then maybe appeal to the audience the football audience outside of europe which is now super mature and I think now increasingly looking at Europe and thinking, these guys have had all the fun for all of these years. Why can't we all get behind the Club World Cup? Why shouldn't we celebrate this tournament? Why shouldn't it be, be good? And of course, it will be in North America, be in the United States, and the US will, will love it too. And, and, and there's big things happening in, in the US as well. So there's the possibility of a power shift 
away from Europe, which mm. is where most of the money in football is concentrated. But I think that that's something that might change. And in many ways, that's something I think that could be welcomed. But obviously, it's how it changes and, and who controls the change mm. is always the, these are the questions. And this will be the question going back to Spain and the changes in the Spanish Football Federation is that, yes, that's great. Yeah, Rubiales must go and, and his cronies must go. But who is replacing them? Mm. And what are their qualifications for doing mm. the work? Mm. Yes, indeed. More questions than answers. Again, good on the sound of football. Because that's how we like it. Because otherwise, what would we talk about? No, exactly. We need more questions. You don't get to 543-odd episodes. <laughs> Just by answering football. <laughs> no. <laughs> otherwise, we would have finished after 10 episodes. Isn't it? I think we've solved this now. Yes, we'll, we'll yes. Go. We would have nothing to talk about beyond August. But we've got plenty to talk about, haven't we? We're probably going to start off next week's episode by talking about some of the games that are happening this weekend. We might. Yes. We're not going to stick to staid old Europe, are we? We'll go across the world. We'll find where the best games are, won't we, this weekend? Too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're totally... We're going to We're going to Glasgow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we're, you know, uh, Dortmund. That's well, that's not a bad game on Friday night. Uh, Heidenheim. It is Heidenheim. Heidenheim. You can, it gives you a chance to tell, tell us a story about Heidenheim. I tell the story of Heidenheim, which I'll save for the preview. But, yeah, yeah. They formed in 2007, first season in the Bundesliga. Really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. You look forward to that one. Mm-hmm. That's on Friday as, as Terry's alluded to, there's the old firm derby on Sunday lunchtime, followed by Arsenal Manu, another old school match That's as well. Blue ribbon fixture, that yeah, one, isn't it? on yeah. Sunday afternoon. Um, but we got Brighton versus Newcastle. Yes, I know Newcastle in the box set for the third. The we dirty mags. <laughs> but their start to the season has been against four clubs that have qualified for Europe. Mm. So they've had a really tough old start. They have, and they had. A comedic game yesterday against Liverpool. More fun and games against Brighton, do you think? I hope so. Yeah, I very uh, much enjoyed that game yesterday. Yeah, it was like I, a pants hill. Brighton <laughs> got their pants pulled down by West Ham, though, isn't it? Which they, is well, that's because West Ham were on fire. West Ham are good. Yeah, latest news, West Ham are good. Moyes, he's back. Yeah. I mean, he never really went away. But I mean, well, maybe when he was at Sunderland, he did. But I mean, yeah, he was on, he was on leave, and he was at Sunderland, definitely. That's going to be a really, really interesting game to see how Brighton, because it's it's two different approaches to running football clubs as well. Mm. There's a lot of narrative going on there. I, I think that that's going to be a, a massively watchable game. I, I think Eddie Howe is under pressure. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, no, I think he's under so. pressure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think he's expected to do to do more in these big games. Mm. Well, I mean, they were, they, they, just to talk about that game yesterday, they should have killed Liverpool off when they had the chance, totally. and they failed to do that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'd agree. He's There'll be an expectation yeah. that they, when you get yourself into a position... Do you talk about microaggressions? So, Eddie, we're not angry with you. Thanks for staying afterwards, though, Brian. <laughs> but we're not angry with you. You're not in any trouble. We just wanted to talk about the performance last night. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think there'll be a bit of that going on. Yeah, and completing the box set will be Sunderland's first appearance in the box set this season. Won't be the last, I'm sure. If you want to see what Jan thinks about Sunderland's game against Southampton, then get along to sofpodcast.com, click on the link for the weekend box set, and subscribe. Uh, I think you can pretty much guess what he's going to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when you subscribe, it will appear in your inbox on Friday lunchtime. The seven matches that we think you should be watching from Friday to Sunday. But that is all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sibley, from Jan Bilton, and from Terry Fellow, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter at Sound of Football, or on facebook.com slash Sound of Football. Airplane mode. Oh, we haven't done that for God. <laughs> It's like back in the old days. It is, isn't it? Airplane mode. What is it? Airplane mode. Right. I guess we might as well crack.